morning i hope uh, thank you i hope everybody can uh, hear me well in the back we now have such a big crowd here it's wonderful i i love it and i love being up here for the next one hour because it means i don't have to put on a mask uh so there's a added benefit to being the preacher um thank you uh, maman for uh, that scripture for reading the scriptures for us and and what a wonderful um, what a wonderful time of uh, remembrance and worship uh, this morning and uh, you know thank you brother raj kamal for kicking us off and putting our thoughts on you know on the lord and his love for us and and uh, you know the fact that he didn't deny us and and all the rest of you just picked up on that and and it was just wonderful it's always wonderful it's such a privilege for us to um you know to come every week and uh, be able to start our weeks by remembering the lord and that uh, really brings our focus back to who we are and who it is that we are to serve and uh, and that's a privilege that we have in the kind of setup that we have so we're uh, coming back to um, to uh, to the uh, whole council of god and let me make sure all the stuff works ah perfect so you know i always like to uh, i'm the guy who kicked off the series i think uh, a year uh, what is it a year 12 13 months ago 14 months ago and so uh, so i always go back to my my favorite charts i spent a lot of time putting that together so so i figure it should come up at least a dozen times during the series you know um but uh, uh, kidding aside you know just to just to level set on where we are right so you can look at the chart and we've been through the old testament and in the new testament and we broke it up into these different segments and uh, you know we've been through the foundational books of the uh, of the uh, of the new testament which are of course the gospels which are the story of christ and the uh, and and also the foundational teachings uh, of the gospel right and then we go into the historical book which in the new testament is only one book that's the book of acts which is how the the early church came into being uh and we looked at that and now we are in the instructional books of which there are 22 books and uh, you know we're just uh, sort of dropping in and out right this is like a, a paratrooper you know going in and out we're not doing a, a a very thorough study of the epistles that would take us and maybe that's what we do in the future after the series is over in in april we'll start picking up uh, going deeper into certain segments of scripture but but what we're doing here is just looking at various concepts that have to do with the uh you know with the the life uh, of of the christian and when we look at these instructional books you know we broke it up into these three groups right the 22 letters uh, there are letters to specific churches there are group 2 which is the letters to groups of believers across churches uh and letters to specific leaders and elders and these instructional books they look back right they look back at the foundational teachings of christ in the gospels and then they provide doctrine and practical instruction on how the church is to live how the church is to live the gospel life how are we to implement the truths of the gospel the truths of uh, the principles of the christian walk how are we to implement those in our lives and how are we to deal with problems and challenges we know that as we live in this world uh, as uh, you know those who are who are fallen human beings we face many challenges and we're going to talk about that a little bit more today and uh, you know uh, the uh, uh, and then there are several themes right themes such as operating in the culture facing persecution 
um, you know, and uh, uh, things like um, uh, handling problems in the church, many different problems, you know, problems of a sexual nature or problems of a doctrinal nature. Um, you know, we, uh, we see there, um, you know, how, how, uh, how are we to encourage each other? How are believers to be encouraged in their walk with the, with the Lord? We, we read about or we learn about how do we spot false teaching? There was a lot of false teaching. And, and you know, the good thing for us is that all of these problems were quite prevalent in the early church. And so Paul and the other writers of the New Testament epistles had to address them. And in addressing them, they sort of gave us a roadmap, uh, not only in terms of warning, but how do we identify these things? How do we deal with them? And, and therefore, these are very useful. And that's why these are so rich and they, we continue to study them again and again and again. You can never exhaust uh, you know, the study of these epistles. I mean, they are sort of the crux of, of the New Testament Christian life. And then, um, you know, if we look at what we've actually studied uh, the lessons that we've covered, we've covered six lessons. Um, you know, I think Liju talked about the church and then Raventh about justification by faith. So we're just hitting on some key concepts. Uh, you know, there are many others that we're not going to get into. Uh, but, you know, the reason we're doing this is to, is to encourage all of you to go deep into the word of God, right? Uh, and do your own study. We talked about the grace of giving. John Paul, Brother John Paul gave us a wonderful message on that. We talked about Christian joy. And uh, Ben Kurian took us through that. Uh, and then uh, humility. Brother Jerry covered humility from Philippians chapter 2. And you can see the different books that we've touched on. It's only, it's only going to end up being about half the 22 books by the time we're done. And uh, then last week, Benji talked about scripture. Okay? And uh, you know the, uh, the importance of scripture and the power of scripture. And I just want to maybe take a little bit of a, of a, of a you know, deviation um, from my script here and just talk about the importance of scripture okay and uh, you know sometimes i wonder how seriously we take scripture okay and um, you know um, uh, you know i'm a little uh, i'm a little nervous bringing this up because people will uh, will accuse me of uh, of being old fashioned and all that but you know i just see today a lot of people coming to church they don't have the scriptures with them okay now i know what you're thinking you're thinking you know you're an analog guy we're digital um, you know, I can tell you this, you go look on my company's website, uh, you know, there's a bio of myself and it says there that, you know, I help our clients drive their digital transformation. So, so I'm, I'm pretty digital, okay? Uh, if you can't find it, you can ask Justin, he maintains that website. So, um, so, you know, anyway, kidding and jokes aside, you know, I have nothing against people. And I know people have said to me, oh, no, Georgia, you know, we can, um, you know, you can highlight and you can do all these things. You know what? You, maybe you can. And if you do, that's great. But I'm almost willing to, you know, willing to posit that a majority of you who come without Bibles, you're not taking your Bible seriously. You know, if you think the phone is a Bible, it's not. This is the Bible. Okay? And it certainly has its place. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying don't use a tablet or any of those things. Even if you come here, it's fine. As long as the important thing is not what device you use. It's are you taking it seriously? Many of you come here and some of you have sat next to me. You know, you pull out your phone. You know, you're on the, in the scriptures for a minute. And the next thing you're on Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever. Okay. Uh, the phone is a phone, which happens to have a little app. For, but it's got a lot of other stuff in it. Okay. Um, you know, now if you're using your digital Bibles in that way with the focus, nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm, I'm all for using modern technology. I'm not a, 
you know, old-fashioned guy who, who is going to come and condemn you for doing. That's not, that's the, my point is, I hope you get the point, okay? You know, don't let this become a, a, a reason for you to be unserious about the, the important thing is, are you serious about the word of God? You know, and we'll talk more about that. So that's just to close out the, the message on the scripture. So what are we going to talk about today about assurance and perseverance? And then we've got a lesson coming up on the tongue, not on tongues. Okay. Not on speaking in other tongues. This is actually about the tongue. Okay. From the book of James. Um, and uh, uh, suffering in heaven. I mean, uh, again, something we all go through, right? And then uh, Christian love. Uh, from First John, and then uh, we'll close out with a couple of messages on the Lord's return. So, so that's the way we're going to go. And today, you know, we come to the book of Hebrews. And uh, the book of Hebrews uh, and the topic we're going to cover, we're not going to do an exhaustive, you know, survey or an exhaustive uh, exposition of the book of Hebrews. We don't have the time for that. Uh, and it's a very complicated book and I think a few... Uh, a couple of years ago, Rebbe Chayin had gone through this in some detail. Go back and listen to his messages, by the way. They're all there on the website, church website. Uh, but we're going to look at an important topic which primarily revolves around the matter of going on to spiritual maturity. And the title of the message is Perseverance and Assurance, and we'll talk about that, right? So it's, it's about maturing as a believer or being sanctified, which is a big challenge for many of us. We've all struggled with it. And many of us, even now, we may be struggling with this matter of maturing as believers. We've perhaps reached a point of stagnation. And we're going to look at some of these warnings in the, in the book of Hebrews uh, about this topic. So, uh, and this has to do with, and, and maybe I should give a little bit of a, of a, of a primer on salvation. Okay. Salvation has three components to it or three parts to it, all right? Now, there is the past tense, which is basically what happened to you at the time. You know, we all think that, you know, we all talk about the time that we got born again or we trusted in the Lord. And that is one aspect of salvation. And it is a once for all, you know, moment of time event where you are justified by the blood of Christ, by trusting in the finished work of Christ. God declares you justified. He declares you saved. He declares that you have eternal life. And that is what we call the past tense of salvation. Or another term that people use is that it is being saved from the penalty of sin, which we know is death, right? Eternal death. We've been saved from eternal death. We have been given eternal life. That is the past tense that is being saved from the uh, penalty of sin. And then we go into a next phase, which starts at the moment of salvation. At that point, we just talked about. And it ends at the time where you are in the presence of the Lord. Okay, either by death or, or uh, the Lord returning, whichever comes first. Uh, and that is a, what we call the present tense of salvation. And that, the, the theological term used for that is sanctification. Okay, it is, it is what we call progressive salvation. It is being saved not from the penalty of sin. That was done once for all. Done. Finished. Wrapped up. Okay. Tied with a bow. It's done. But what's not done is the fact that we are still, um, you know, we are still sinners in, a, in our flesh. We are still fallen. And until the time comes when we get this glorified body, we will continue to be fallen and we will struggle. But we have to go through a process of growth and maturation. And that is called sanctification. 
uh, that is called maturing in the Christian faith. That is called walking with the Lord and growing. And, and, and there's a lot of things about that and scripture will talk about that, right? So that is the present tense of salvation. It is being saved not from the penalty of sin, but being saved from the, from the power of sin, right? We currently continue to live in the presence of sin, right? Our own bodies are fleshly, they're sinful, they're fallen. We live in a fallen world. The whole world is fallen. Creation is fallen. And so, you know, gradually we ought to be saved, being saved from the power of sin in our life. Sin needs to have less and less power over me as years go by and as I continue to grow and become mature as a Christian. And then the third aspect is, um, is the future tense. And that is what's going to happen in the future when we are with the Lord, you know, and what will happen there is that we will receive a glorified body. This sinful body, fallen body of flesh will be replaced with a glorified body. We'll talk about that when we get to the Lord's return perhaps. Uh, but that is the future tense of sin and that is what we call the, uh, it's also known as glorification. And you know, you're saved in the past from the penalty of sin. You're being saved in the present from the power of sin and in the future you will be saved from the very presence of sin. Right? So penalty, uh, power, and present. So keep this in mind, all right? And when we read the scriptures, we find a lot of verses that people get confused over. Uh, and it's important that we sort of look at those verses as we study them. We sort of place them in one of these three buckets, okay? Sometimes, you know, Paul especially, he may be talking about the past tense of salvation. Sometimes he's talking about the present. Sometimes he's talking about the future. Sometimes he talks about all three of them in a single passage, right? And, and it's very important that we understand this. So, um, what we are talking about today, it's all in that middle phase, okay? It's in the present tense uh, of salvation. It's about living out our salvation. It's about what should be happening with us once we are saved, between the time we are saved, okay, from the penalty of sin and until the time we are saved from the presence of sin. That is the time that we spend here on this, on this earth. And it's a very difficult and complex topic, but it's very, very important, all right? So I want to start off with, establishing just four key uh, biblical teachings about salvation okay four key biblical teachings uh, about salvation uh, as we uh, as we go through and sort of like a, uh, a setup for the rest of the uh, the message here and these are very important truths because these are things that people get very confused about and the first one is this that salvation is by grace alone and is a gift of God and it is not based on any works of ours. And there's plenty, and you guys all know this, so I'm not going to dwell on it very much, but I'll just quickly turn to Ephesians chapter 2, which is probably the one place in scripture where Paul explains this very beautifully. And I'll just pick out a few verses, right? Salvation is by grace alone and is a gift of God and is not based on any works of ours. Okay, so Ephesians 2 verse 1. Okay, you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and, and sins. Who has made us alive? He, okay, capital H. He, that is God. God has made us alive. And then we come to verse 2. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Okay, who did that? God did. Okay, but God did that. And then it goes on in verse 5. Um, uh, Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Okay, so we have been saved by grace. It is a grace means it is the gift of God. It is a free gift of God. We had nothing to do with it. And then 
uh, as if that wasn't enough, Paul emphasizes it again in chapter uh, 2 and verse 8, where he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Very plainly stated. Okay, you've been saved by grace, it is not, it is a gift of God, and it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. You and I have nothing to boast about in the salvation, which is a gift, free gift that we have received from God, and it's not based on any work that, that we have done, that I have done. Uh, and, and this is an important truth. And we find this again in Galatians 2.16. I'm not going to go there. You can make a note of that. Uh, so that's the first truth. Okay, Salvation is by grace alone and is a gift of God and is not based on any works of ours. Second one is that is very important. I'm going to spend a little time on this one. Okay, Salvation is eternally secure. Okay, salvation is eternally secure. And this one that people get confused about, but this is what the scriptures teaches, as we'll see in a second year. You know, we are saved by the grace and power of God, and we are kept secure also by the grace and power of God. All right, let me refer you to a few verses. John 3.16. Okay, I'm not going to turn to it because you all know this by heart. Uh, Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Right? Uh, and let's just go, go to the, the, uh, the gospel of John because that's the, uh, that's the gospel where we find uh, many, many passages and verses on the security of salvation. And uh, the next one I want to look at is John 5 and verse 24. Apologize for the small font there. John 5 and verse 24. Uh, it says, um, yeah, it says uh, John 5 verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Okay? So, you know, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and on God, you have everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So you will not come into judgment. Okay? It can't be more explicit than that. Let's go to John chapter 6 verses uh, 37 and uh, 39 and 40. John 6 and verse 37, 39 and 40. Let me read those. John 6 verse 37. All that the Father gives me, and he's talking here about, about us, about people, right? All that the Father gives me, because right before that he says, I am the bread of life and he who believes in me shall never thirst and and, uh, and so on. And then he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So number one, Christ says, you know, the Father has given me certain people, right, for salvation. And I will not cast them out. Okay, and let's go to verse 39. Yeah, verse 39. This is the will. Okay, now this is the will of who? Of the Father who sent me. Alright, this is the will of God. You can be more explicit than that. What is the will of God? That all of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. How many is he going to lose? Nothing. Okay. I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. You are going to be resurrected into new life. Whoever the Father has given me is guaranteed to be resurrected to new life. All right, and then verse 40, and this is the will. Now, he said, now you know, here's a double guarantee, okay? Double clutch, you know? Uh, he says, okay, first he said, this is the will of the Father that 
I should lose nothing, all right, of what he has given me. Verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me. Who is that? That's the Father, right? The Father, God. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So it is, uh, you know, it is, it is not just Jesus, but it is the Father. And we see this again when we go to John chapter 10, verse 27. Okay? John chapter 10, verse 27 to 29. Let me read that. John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. What kind of life? Eternal life. Now if something, if eternal life is something you can lose, is it eternal? No. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Okay. And then he goes on, my father, verse 29, who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. So nobody can snatch them out of my hand. Nobody can snatch them out of the Father's hand. They are protected by the Son and the Father, right? In the Son and the Father's hands. So, you know, we have a double grip. The Father and the Son are holding on to those who are saved. Um, let's look at another verse. Ephesians 1, verse, uh, verse 13 and 14. So we go from the Gospels to the Epistles now. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. And this is speaking of the role of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, yeah, verse, uh, verse 13, In Him you also trusted, that is in Christ, okay? You trusted in Christ after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So he's speaking here about, you know, you heard the gospel, the word of truth, you believed, right? Um, in whom you also, in whom also having believed, what happened? You were sealed. Sealed with who? With what? With the Holy Spirit of promise. So you were sealed with the Holy Spirit and the word seal meant something in those days. It's the, the seal of the official government seal or the king seal that, that nobody but the person who, who was supposed to be the recipient of that was supposed to open it, right? It was against the law to break that seal. Um, you know, if you were, not, you were not authorized to do it. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Go on verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? So we our inheritance is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. So again, we see here that we have the Holy Spirit who seals us at the time of salvation and He serves as the guarantee of the fact that the Holy Spirit is within us is a guarantee that, um, you know, that, that we will receive that final redemption. And, uh, you know, if that's not enough, let me just go to one more verse, okay? And then I'll stop. I could keep going for the next hour on these because it's it's what's taught in scripture okay first peter chapter 1 verse 3 to f uh, 3 to 3 4 and 5 first peter 1 and uh, it says here blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead okay that's speaking of salvation to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you that's speaking of the future okay that's what that's that future tense of salvation right when you're glorified this is what you're going to receive okay um, you know an inheritance incorruptible undefiled and and that does not fade away reserved for you 
reserved in heaven for you who are and look at verse 5 who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last day we are kept by the power of God okay it is the power of God operating in the life of the believer that keeps him secure so let me be very clear on this okay anyone who teaches that true salvation can be lost and is not eternally secure is not teaching align with the word of God okay um, any interpretation of any portion of scripture that suggests that salvation of a true believer can be lost is a wrong interpretation alright if we see a passage that looks and there are some in Hebrews that looks like you know you might lose your salvation or you could lose your salvation or maybe if this happens you may lose your salvation that is not the right interpretation because scripture interprets scripture it does not align with the clear teaching of Jesus it does not align with the clear teaching of Paul of the apostles okay it is not aligned with the teaching of scripture so that cannot be the interpretation that should be the starting point there are a lot of people who get confused over this and they get needlessly caught up in in what I call pointless theological debates okay uh, about or oh, does this mean that you can lose your salvation all right go look at the portions that are clear understand what the clear teaching of scriptures and then use that clear teaching to interpret the stuff the the passages that may not be maybe all that clear but the reason they're not clear is because they're talking about something different they're approaching it from a different angle and we need to figure that out okay so the second point is that salvation is eternally secure okay now you know if it's eternally secure you run into a little bit of a problem which is oh, okay well then you know I'm eternally secure you know uh, does that mean I can live any way I want well there's another truth about salvation all right which is that salvation scripture teaches security scripture also teaches that salvation will be manifested by outward works in the life of a believer okay so there will be fruit from your life if you are truly saved there will be fruit from your life Matthew chapter 7 and verse there's several verses there. I'm not going to go through all of them you can note them down but Matthew 7 and verse 20 and Jesus is talking here in a slightly different context but there's a principle there he's talking about false teachers and knowing false teachers and he says uh, yeah Matthew 7 and verse 20 he says therefore by their fruits you will know them see this principle of of a tree being known by its fruits right is, is we find that in many places in scripture right uh, in John 19 and other places you know it's a fruit the kind of fruit that comes out of the tree that tells you what the tree is what kind of a tree that is you know is it a good tree is it a bad tree is it a healthy tree um, you know the kind of fruit it produces the tree that produces the fruit is a spirit has got to have the spirit in them and if you have the Holy Spirit in you you will produce the fruits of the spirit okay um, John John 14 and verse 15 I'm not going to turn to it it says if you love me keep my commandments okay now if you are saved by Christ and he has done all these things for you 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 have to love him you must love him and you know if you don't love him well then there's a different problem we'll get to that alright but if you love me what do you do keep my commandments you cannot just keep saying you know I'm going to disobey all the commandments of the Lord and I don't care about the commandments of the Lord. I'm not talking about the sin that we do fall into okay because we are not perfect but it's the attitude of the mind that says I really don't care about any of that and I don't want to follow that and I don't desire to follow those commandments you can you can say that and then say I love the Lord and I belong to the Lord <clears throat> it doesn't it doesn't align uh, John 13 34 by this will all know all will know that you are my disciples if you 
have love for one another. He says, the way that people will know. See, salvation is internal. Salvation is deep within your heart and my heart. Nobody can see it. Only God knows if you are truly saved. But how does the world know if you are truly saved? How do we know if you are truly saved? By looking at the fruit, right? The world will know. How will the world know that you are my follower? Uh, he says, by the fact that you have love for one another. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, God has, for all the people who are his children, he has prepared beforehand some works that you need to be doing. Not for salvation. You're already saved. Your salvation is already secured. But, you know, as a secured, saved person, you know, you go forth and you do these works and it will become evident in the life of the Christian. Okay, um, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6 and verse, um, verse 9. Hebrews 6 and verse 9. And, and here he talks about, uh, you know, about things that accompany salvation and gives us some example. Okay, he says uh, in verse 9 and 10, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Now, what the implication there is, there are certain things in your life and my life which accompany salvation. And what are those? For God is not unjust to forget your work. Okay, it is the works that come out of you. He's not unjust to forget your labor of love, which you have shown, okay, um, toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So the fact that you're ministering to the saints, the fact that you're doing the labor of love, these are things that accompany salvation. So scripture teaches that salvation, true salvation, comes, is accompanied by certain things that manifest in the life of a children, or of his children. Then, you know, in James chapter 1, verse 14 to 18, I'm going to read it. Again, it says, it's talking about faith, true faith and false faith. It says that, you know, you show me your faith by your words and I will show you my faith, you know, my true faith by my works, okay? So those are just uh, some, uh, some uh, verses you can look at. So the third truth is salvation will be manifested by outward works in the life of a believer. Okay, the fourth truth. Salvation initiates a process of sanctification. I talked about this, right? Uh, a process of sanctification or growing in obedience and holiness. It requires the believer to work out their salvation. Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 12 and 13. <coughs> Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Alright, that is, that is not saying work for your salvation. Okay, it's saying work out your salvation. Salvation is there. Okay, salvation is there. You need to work it out. You need to show it. It needs to come out. And that is the process of sanctification. You know, Romans 8.29 says that God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. So this is the process of sanctification. You're becoming more and more like the image of God's Son. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 3 says that we ought to walk and to please God for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Just look at that uh, uh, verse, uh, 1 Thessalonians and verse uh, chapter 4. And that's, that's very clear, right? Uh, you know, it says very clearly that this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 1 to 3. 
yeah, verse, I'll just read verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. God wants you to be sanctified. And to be sanctified means to become more holy, to become more Christ-like, so that you stay away from some of these sins like fornication and, uh, and sexual immorality and all those kind of things. Okay, So now this does not result in perfect holiness in this life. There are some who teach that we will still sin. We will still have sin in our lives. But sin will become, must become, should become less and less dominant in our lives and we must increase in holiness. So perfect holiness comes in the presence of Christ. You know, in, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 it says, When he is revealed, we shall be like him because for we shall see him as he is. So what's the, the, the fourth truth? Salvation initiates a process of sanctification or growing in obedience and holiness. So let me just recap these four things. These are very important. Salvation is by grace alone and is a gift of God and is not based on any works of ours. Number two, salvation is eternally secure. Number three, salvation will be manifested by outward works in the life of a believer. And number four, salvation initiates a process of sanctification of growing in obedience and in holiness. So let's move on and talk about the main theme for today, which is perseverance and assurance. Okay, everything we talked about today was part of the theme, but but this is what is in the title, so I have to mention those words, and they're important. Okay, so what is perseverance? The doctrine of perseverance says that God will continue to empower His true children for sanctification and obedience. Okay, so first and foremost, perseverance is concerned with God. All right, there's two aspects to it. First and foremost. It's about God. It's that God will preserve His children. It's that God will continue to enable their faith. It's that God will continue to give them uh, the desires of holiness. It is that God will continue to give them the strength to grow. It's that God will continue to assure us that we are His children. And let's go back to that uh, verse in, first, in Philippians chapter 2. I just read uh, one part of it. Chapter 12 and 13 of Philippians 2 verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And look at verse 13, 4. Okay, now he's telling us, right? You work out your own salvation. But then he says in verse 13, 4, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What is God doing? Okay, God, uh, you know, the desire, he is, he is giving you that will, He is giving you the power, He is giving you that desire, He is working in your heart to make you want to persevere. Um, you know, and, um, you know, I, I cannot work on my own salvation without God giving me that desire. So it is God, perseverance is, is, is about God. But then perseverance is also, it also requires an action on our part. Okay, so to respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You know, if you look in, uh, I'm not going to turn to these verses, Colossians 3.5. Okay, you can make a note of that. Colossians 3.5. Um, yeah, Colossians 3.5 uh, says, put to death your members. You know, we are exhorted to do this. Okay, you know, who needs to put to death the members? Is it God? No, it's me. Right? I have to put to death the members. Okay, that, that result in sin. Okay, 1 John 3.3 says, that anyone who has this hope, what hope? Hope of the return of Christ. What does he do? He purifies himself. Okay? You have to, I have to purify ourselves. 
First um, John five eighteen. It says, "Whoever is born of God guards himself. Who has to guard themselves? God does." Right? Second Corinthians seven one says, "Let us cleanse ourselves. We have to cleanse ourselves." You know, if you go back, and I would really encourage you, by the way, to go back to some of the old messages. Yesterday, in preparing for this message, I went back to a message from Camp two thousand seventeen. Okay, by uh, it's all there on the website or on the YouTube channel. Uh, by John Kurian, uh, the theme was victorious Christian life, and, and the message is called "Man's Part and God's Part," and it talks about this very subject. Okay, go go listen to it. Uh, and there's a quote that he that he gives from Saint Augustine, which uh, I think I have it up here. Yeah, without God, I cannot. Okay, without God, I cannot. Without me, God will not. Right. So without my cooperation. God will not do what I can do. God will not do. Okay, so you know, let's uh, take an illustration. You're, you're sitting there saying, um, you know, you know, you got to read your Bible, right? Okay, and you know, if you sit there and pray, saying, "God, please help me get out of bed and pick up my Bible and read it," oh Lord, why is this not happening? You know, or you're watching a TV show. God, please use that remote control to turn off this dirty TV show so that I'm not tempted. You think God's going to respond to that? That's what I can do. That's what I should do, right? It's the Holy Spirit that God, through the Holy Spirit, is telling me. You know what? This stuff is filthy. Get away from it. All right. But you've got to do something. I've got to do something. You've got to get out of the of the couch, find that remote control, and you know, change the channel or turn it off. You've got to get up and you've got to pick up your Bible and open it up and start reading and studying. God, uh, what I can do, God will not do. What God should do, I cannot do, right? So I encourage you all to go back and listen to that message. It covers this topic in in a lot of depth. Now the second thing is assurance. Now what is assurance? Assurance is the confidence that a truly saved person has that he is indeed saved. Okay, and this is a result of his perseverance. It's a result of perseverance. Now, uh, you know, perseverance is a sign of true belief. All right, uh, Colossians one twenty-two and twenty-three. Let's go to Colossians chapter one, verse twenty-two and twenty-three. Yeah, in the body of his flesh to present you. So. Uh, so the speaking of Christ in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight, if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I Paul have become a minister. Okay, so you know here it's saying that you know that um, that uh, you know that that Christ is able to present you holy and blameless if indeed. You continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, right? So perseverance is a sign of true belief. That if you truly believe, you will persist. You will remain. You will remain grounded. You will continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Okay. So our obedience, okay, our obedience is what gives us the confidence that we belong to Christ. Let's look at a couple of verses there. First John, chapter two and verse three. First John, chapter two and verse three. Now by this we know that we know Him. How do we know that we know Him? 
if we keep his commandments right you read second peter 1 5 to 11 you see the same thing i'm not going to go there so it allows us to make it says in second peter 1 5 to 11 that that we need to make our calling and election sure okay so assurance is a is a feeling that you get that is caused by or has its root in your perseverance when we persevere you know we are assured right and when we are not assured it's because we are not persevering so what what if you don't have an assure if you do not have assurance there's only two possibilities okay one is that you may be a believer who has drifted away from the lord and we'll talk more about that as we get into the warnings in hebrews in the next few minutes here okay second is that you know the truth is you may not truly be saved and scripture always calls us to examine ourselves right on this topic because it is quite possible you know even in the early church even in today's church especially in a lot of our brethren just there are a lot of kids a lot of people who grew up in a certain culture and they are cultural christians they never truly got saved maybe some of you as well you know and it's something we have to constantly examine ourselves in second corinthians 13 and verse 5 tells us this okay second corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 If I can find it here, it says, um, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? But I trust that you will know <coughs> that we are not disqualified. This is something we should ask ourselves. You know what? Am I truly saved? You know, am I seeing the fruit? Right? I'm not saying this to create a lot of doubt in your mind, but this is a serious point. There are many in this room who believe they are Christians because they said some prayer when they were 15 years old or 10 years old or 12 years old. That is not what saves you. You know, think of those four principles. If you are saved, yes, you are secure. But if you are saved, there should be fruit in your life. And if there is not fruit in your life, it is one of those two things. Either you may be drifted away and you need to come back, you know, to the author, the captain of your salvation, or you need to come to this realization that perhaps you never truly were saved and you got to be honest with yourself so let's come to the book of Hebrews very quickly I'm not going to go into all of these so Hebrews was written uh, to a group of Jewish Christians we need to just understand a little bit of context here and they were facing persecution and they were struggling to move on to maturity so it's written to a group of believers now maybe there were some unbelievers in their in their midst just like there are here in CBF okay who look like believers but they may, might not have been uh, but primarily written to a group of believers who were struggling to move on to maturity and some were even considering going back to Judaism uh, to to uh, you know to protect themselves or to uh, you know uh, to to save themselves from the suffering and Hebrews has the strongest declaration of perseverance that God's true children will continue to live in obedience and so the purpose of Hebrews is Number one, to show them the superiority of Christ over the Jewish Old Testament. So, so remember, these are Jewish Christians who were, some of them were thinking that, you know what, maybe we need to just set aside this Christ stuff. And, and, and so Paul spends, a oh, not Paul, <laughs> the author. I don't want to get into that pointless theological debate. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, the author to the Hebrews, he, he spends a lot of time talking about the superiority of Christ to show them that, okay, to exhort them to, move on to maturity and to perseverance okay and then warn them of the implications of 
lack of perseverance so that they can turn things around and move on towards maturity. Now he talks, spends a lot of time about Christ superior. I'm not going to dwell on this. So what does he say? He says, you know, Christ is superior to creation. Christ is superior to the angels. Christ is superior to Moses. Christ is superior um, uh, as a priest is superior to the, the Jewish high priest. Christ's new covenant is superior to the Old Testament covenant. And then Christ is superior to the tabernacle. And then finally, Christ's sacrifice of himself is superior to the Old Testament animal sacrifices. And then he goes into these exhortations to maturity. Right in Hebrews 5, and we'll, we'll just stay in the book of Hebrews now. But Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 to 14, which uh, uh, Marmon read earlier, right? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and that you and you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe so these are people who are who are just still stuck on milk right and so these are a bunch of immature Christians who are doubting the superiority of Christ and and they were stagnant in their walk sounds like many of us right um, or, or even those of us, maybe we're not there today, but we used to be there, right? And God caught us and we've managed to get back on the path to maturity. And so he presents all of these things. And then he goes on to present these five warnings, okay? Now, I'm going to stay out of the theological debates on some of the interpretations of these warnings. So if you are a student of the Hebrews, uh, you know, I don't know where Sujay is, uh, uh, but um, I'm not going to get into the, you're not going to get George Chen's view of, of any of these things, okay? Uh, that was not the intent, that's not the intent of this message and I don't think the intent of Hebrews was for us to debate a lot of these things, okay? The intent was to give these warnings, okay? We will take all of these as warnings to believers so that they are aware of the things that hold them back from maturing in their walk with Christ and make changes. So there are five, these are five danger signals, all right? The first one, is a warning against drifting away in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Okay, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to these things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? So the context here is that, Given that God has spoken to us through his son Jesus Christ, given the work of Christ and his superiority over the angels, which he has made possible for which has made possible for us this great salvation, the truth of God's word, he is picturing a you know that we are in an ocean or a body of water, right? And there is something there that's anchoring you, right? The truth of and that's the truth of God's word. It's anchored. And we need to stay close to this anchor. And, and if we don't, What's going to happen uh, is that we will drift away. We drift away through indifference and carelessness to the word of God. You know, we are, we are swimming and existing in the current uh, of the world system that naturally takes us away from the word of God, right? Think of ourselves as being tethered to the anchor of the word of God and we are, you know, floating around in the current of the world which is swirling around us. There's so many worldly things that take us away from 
the Christian walk and to avoid drifting away, we need to fight that current. You've got to make that effort to fight the current. And laziness is the enemy, right? We are, we are lazy sometimes when it comes to spiritual things. And by the way, uh, you know, a lot of you have a lot of time for a lot of things, okay? Uh, because I follow you on social media, <laughs> all right? So, uh, you know, I, I see all the, 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 the pictures from the gyms and the pictures on your marathons and all these kind of things. But when it comes to, oh, when was the last time you read your Bible? Oh, you know, I'm not a morning person, George, you know. Huh? You know, if something's a priority, you'll find the time. Okay, otherwise what's going to happen? You're going to drift away. So it says here, how can we neglect so great a salvation? You know, you can neglect so great a salvation by not reading the word, by not studying the word, by not meditating on it, by not spending time uh, before God in prayer, by being indifferent to meeting with the saints and having fellowship with other believers. And the attitude sometimes is, you know, I'm saved. So I don't have to worry about that, right? I'm just checking the boxes. No, you can. You know, rarely does anyone just bolt away from the faith, right? It happens gradually. You gradually drift away. And before you know it, you're so far away, you'll get to the next one, all right? So are you drifting away? How far have you drifted away? And what is the antidote to this? The antidote to this is that we, uh, you know, we, uh, we have to tie ourselves, we have to anchor ourselves to the truth of the gospel, come back to Christ because he has released you from the bondage of sin. You read the rest of chapter 2, you'll see this. And he can help you through every temptation because he was also tempted and he was victorious. So that's the first warning. And by the way, these build on them. Okay, You see each warning is getting more and more severe. Okay, Second is in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 12. And he goes to the history of Israel and how they uh, you know how they uh, they sinned in the wilderness and, and verse 12 says beware brethren lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God so what is this warning that you know Christ is the faithful high priest he is the one who is greater than Moses that's in the previous passages which we are not going to get into uh, he is the builder of the house of which we are occupants in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 3 the children of Israel disbelieved and they hardened their hearts. That's the context. And the warning is, beware lest you too, you know, you don't just keep drifting away, but you start drifting away and building unbelief in your hearts, right? Unbelief leads to rebellion as it did with, with Israel. Are you losing out on the blessing? You know, you lose out on the blessing of your salvation uh, when you go into unbelief. And what's the antidote? Verse 11 to 13, you know, it says, uh, exhorting one another daily, uh, verse 13, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, you know, go back to the word of God. Go back to the word of God which exposes the sin. Come to Christ, your compassionate high priest who can sympathize with your struggles and you will find grace to change. The third warning is not going on to maturing. And Marmon read this in chapter 5 and verse 11. I, I just read it again here. You know, the Hebrew believers were still caught up in elementary things. You know, they were not growing into maturity. They had become dull of hearing. They could not grasp the deeper things of God and Scripture. And, and the risk is that if you don't mature, okay, you can fall further away. You can become ineffective as a Christian and you can become dull. It says here that uh, chapter 5 verse uh, 11, it ends this way. It says, since you have become dull of hearing, you can't hear the word of God anymore. 
You've become dull of hearing. You know, for a true Christian who has stopped maturing, verses 4 to 6, it says that there is no second salvation. Okay, you, that's impossible. So what does, he, what does the writer say you need to do? Go back to the path of maturity. Okay, this is, this, you don't need to get into any controversy on this. The point of this, the writer is saying is, you know, work towards maturity. Get back on the path of maturity. Let's not get caught up in theological debates on what verses 4 to 6 mean. You know, what should you do? You should exercise your senses. Look at verse 14 of chapter 5. Solid food belong to those who are of full, of, of full age, that is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Exercise your senses. Go on to maturity. Chapter 6 verse 1. Stop being sluggish. Chapter 6 verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know, I talk to some of you and I say, How, what, what is, how's your quiet time? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's going good. What do you do? You know, I read the, uh, what is that thing? The app, uh, uh, version verse of the day. That's the quiet time. You know, that's like snack food, you know. Uh, you know, I just go around looking for whatever is uh, in the cupboard and, you know, eat the chips or whatever. You know, snack food is okay. It's gives you some nourishment you know it'll keep you going for a little while but it's going to stunt your growth it's not a balanced meal okay fine read the U version thing nothing wrong with that but i hope to god that all of us are going far far beyond that otherwise we're going to be babies in christ and the warning is against not going on to maturity and the next warning the fourth one is against a lifestyle of sin and by the way we this progression can happen in the life of the believer right chapter 10 Verse 26 to 31. I'm not going to read it because Marmon read it, but it talks about, you know, willful sin, right? Willful sin. For if we sin willfully and, and you know, the Hebrew believers, though they had access into the presence of God and, uh, you know, they were losing hope. They were not stirring up each other. And look at what they were not doing. If you go up to chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, it says that they were not stirring one another up into good works. They were not meeting together. They were giving up the meeting together. That's why that's important. As a result, what is it? They were at risk of getting into habitual sin in their lives. If we keep, the NIV puts it better, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Is that, is that where your life is? That you are deliberately continuing in sin? If this direction continued, what would be the consequences? He talks about judgment. I'm not going to get into what that judgment is. It could be the loss of rewards. It could be other things. That's, that's a debate to be had on another day. But what is it that you have to do? He, he explains, he says in verse 32, But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering. He said, go back to the way you used to be. Right? Okay, go back to the way you used to fight sin. Go back to fellowship. Go back to assembling together. Go back to discipling each other and stirring ourselves on to good works. And then the final one, is the most dangerous one, which is a warning against um, indifference. Okay, warning against indifference to the point of denial. Hebrews 12, 25. Um, See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him. What is the context? That they were at risk of falling short of the glory of, of the grace of God. In Hebrews 12 and verse 15, of becoming, uh, becoming bitter at God becoming defiled, going into sin, as serious as fornication and godlessness. And this part 
path can lead to refusing God, denying Him, indifference to sin. See that this does not happen to you. What's the antidote? Verse 12. It says, strengthen the hands which hang down and feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Strengthen yourself spiritually. And verse 14, pursue peace with all people and happiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know, be at peace with others. We have to strengthen ourselves spiritually so that we do not get to this point of indifference. You know, I just want to ask you, you know, there's a big progression in these warnings. Okay, going from drifting away to a heart of unbelief, to a lack of spiritual growth and maturity, a stunted growth, to habitual sin, and finally to denial. You know, if you are somewhere on this continuum, you need to return to God. You need to make corrections. Examine yourselves, right? Examine yourself. Are you truly saved? Do you have even a desire in your heart to please God? Or are you just a weak believer who has drifted away, who hasn't even realized this over time, who has an unbelieving heart, who has stunted in spiritual growth and needs to return to preserving? And I want you to take some time when you go home today to dwell on these questions. Okay, Where do you stand in terms of perseverance to the, uh, and obedience to the word in your walk with the Lord and the level of maturity of your Christian life? Based on the state of your walk with the Lord, which of the five warnings currently apply to your life? Maybe they all do. You know, where are you? And, and, and I have examples of people who, who have walked down that path. And some of them were saved and some of them were not. Because we could tell by the way they responded when God brought out the sin. And they were confronted with the sin and the way they responded. And if you, and I can tell you this, there is hope. If you are truly saved, it doesn't matter where you are on that on that continuum. Maybe you are at number four in a lifestyle of sin. You can come back. There is mercy. There is grace. There is forgiveness uh, in Christ if you confess. So don't think you've gone too far. These, these are warnings given to us so that we can examine where we are and we can correct. Not so that we can wallow in them. Do you enjoy the assurance of salvation in your heart? If you do not, then based on this message, note down why this might be the case. Make a commitment on what changes you will make in order to move on towards maturity. It's not enough that you got saved someday in the past. Okay? Maybe you never really did. I don't know. You know and I, I'm not trying to uh, you know, make you go away from here doubting your salvation, but if you're truly not saved, it's a good thing that you doubt it. You know? Because you need to come back to the Lord. And I apologize for taking a little extra time here, but this was a very important lesson here for all of us self-examination, going back and seeing where we are on those list of the five warnings. Those are warnings given not just to the Hebrews, the warnings given to every one of us. And every one of us has been in some of those things. I've drifted away in my life, but praise God, he brought me back or somebody brought me back. Somebody told me I was drifting and brought me back, helped me back. You know, we're all here. That's what, that's what the gathering together of the believers says. That's why he says, you know, do not give up the coming together. Let us not give it up, right? As is the habit of some. Take it seriously. Church is not a place you attend on Sunday. Church is where you build relationships and you spur each other on to love and good works. And my prayer is that every one of you will do some serious self-examination, right? And see where you are and which of these warnings really apply to you and you will take action. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the richness of your word and what it provides for us, Lord. We are grateful to you, Lord, for...
your goodness and your mercies. We thank you, Lord, that you are a merciful God. We thank you that you have given us this great salvation, but help us, Lord, not to take salvation for granted. Help us, Lord, to examine our hearts, Lord. And, and Lord, many of us have drifted away. We are drifting away. Many of us are, have a heart of unbelief, maybe due to the pandemic, maybe due to all the things that we see around us, Lord. But your word uh, addresses all of these things, Lord. Maybe some of us have, have, have stopped growing, Father. Maybe we never started growing, Lord. And maybe some of us, Lord, have have, have habitual sin in our lives, Lord. But we know that if we are truly saved, Father, you, you, you will accept us back if we come in true repentance and faith and, and trust in you, Lord, and remorse, and we turn to you. And, and so we just pray, Lord, that every person here, Father, would, would progress on that journey of sanctification, would grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, would become more Christ-like in their, in their lives, in their attitudes, in their actions, in their... Uh, in the way they, they live their lives, Father. We thank you again, Father, for, uh, for, for giving us this word. May it, uh, may it touch our hearts, may it change us, Father. We ask in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.